This is a very interesting psalm, and I think you're going to enjoy it. One thing is short. <laughs> Amen? Psalm 79. We are into August. We will go through the psalms through August. And then the Sunday after Labor Day, we will move into the Gospel of John. Okay, Psalm 79. Now, you need to understand that this psalm concerns itself with the fall of Judah to the kingdom of Babylon in 587 B.C. So that's what this is about. Judah's fall, the invasion of the Babylonian Empire into the Promised Land, and they destroy the Promised Land, and the Jews go into what's called Babylonian captivity. Okay, that's what it's about. Anybody know how long they were in Babylonian captivity? 70 years. Okay, so you need to read this psalm in light of that. Now here's how we're going to outline the psalm. Verses 1 through 4, the psalmist issues a complaint. So we're going to call this the complaint. Psalm 1 through 4. Verses, uh, verses 1 through 4. Verses 5 through 12, he offers a prayer. Okay, so that's the prayer, 5 through 12. And then, verse 13, he makes a promise. Okay, so we have the complaint, the prayer, and the promise. So let's start off with the, with the complaint. Look at verse 1. Oh God, so here's his complaint. And you can see it's full of emotion with the word oh there. Oh God, see, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. Now, in this verse, we discover who the enemy is. So look who the enemy is. The enemy is the nations, which uh, also can be translated the Gentiles or the pagans. And in this case, it would be the nations that are under the realm of Babylon. Okay, so this is a Babylonian invasion. We know it's an invasion. We know they are an invading force because you see the words come into. You see that? Come into your inheritance. So they're coming into this promised land, and this is an invasion. We notice during the invasion, they succeeded doing two things. First of all, in verse 1, it says they defile. You see that? Defile. Second of all, they destroyed. Look what it says. They laid Jerusalem in heaps. What do they defile? These pagan Gentiles. They defile, it says, the temple. The holy temple. Whenever a Gentile would come into the temple, that would defile it. So this invading force comes and they just trash the temple. The temple is God's dwelling place. Look what they destroyed. They laid waste Jerusalem. That's the holy city. They defiled the holy temple. They destroyed the holy city. The holy temple is God's dwelling place. The holy city is God's people's dwelling place. So this is what has happened, and you see that he's sort of complaining about it to God, telling him about it. We look at the aftermath in verse 2. The dead body of your servants. Uh, this is what he sees. There are dead bodies 
everywhere. There's body saloon in the public. There's this carnage. Terrible carnage takes place with this invasion. It goes on to say, they, that's the Babylonians, the invading force, have given as food to the birds. That means they've given these bodies as food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints to the beast of the field. So what this is describing, not only have they killed great numbers of people and they're lying in the street, they don't bury them. They just let them stay there. So they become the food for the birds and the beasts. Now usually humans eat birds and beasts. Birds don't eat humans. We eat the body of beasts and birds. And so you're going to go out this afternoon and you're going to have a meal eating the bodies of beasts or birds. Right? But here's a case where the beast and the bird eat the body of God's people. So he's complaining. They don't even bury the people. The bodies are slewn all over the place. There's no respect for the dead. Now, you know, right now there's a, a war going on between Israel and Hamas in Palestine. But they have these laws in the battle, don't they? 24-hour ceasefire. Why do they do that? Just for fun? Just because everybody needs to get a night's sleep? They do it because of the carnage, and they give them an opportunity to go back to their homes, find out what's going on, take the bodies of the dead and the wounded in the hospitals and so forth. Babylon doesn't even do that. They have no respect even for dead bodies. Look what else it says in verse 3. There was no one to bury them. It's wholesale slaughter. In other words, you don't have any people left to do the burying. When they went in, when it says they laid Jerusalem flat, they leveled Jerusalem, it means there's no one even left to bury those people among God's people. So we can see that this is what we would call a devastating defeat for God's people. Not only that, it's a humiliating defeat because look at verse 4. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, surrounding nations, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. Uh, their next door neighbors aren't supporting them. They have no sympathy for them. There's no pity. Instead, Israel has become the object of, of mockery and scorn. So it's a devastating defeat, and it's a very humiliating defeat. So this is the complaint that he's making. You know, what's going on here? Now we come to the prayer. Now, verse 5 is very interesting. Because verse 5 is a transitional verse, which means it could be it's connected to both verse 4 and it's connected to verse 6. It serves as a transition. It can be seen as part of the complaint, or it can be seen as part of the prayer. It's a transition. Okay? Now watch when we read it how it can fit either one of the prayer or the complaint. Look what he said. How long, Lord? Now that could be a complaint, couldn't it? But it's also a prayer. You know, how long are we going to have to put up with this? Lord, hurry up and do something. Yeah, a cry, that's right. Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Now, when you see this, you realize that the psalmist uh, admits that the nation, his nation, deserves punishment. Uh, there's no pretense that they're innocent. 
He just asked the question, how long, which has to do with what? Time, yeah. How long is this going to last? You know, we deserve it. How long are we going to have to go through this? It deals with time. And then if you look at verse 5, you see the word angry there. Will you be angry forever? This is the reason for the punishment. First of all, so how long is this punishment going to last? And now he gives the reason for the punishment within this question. God's mad at them. He's angry at them. And then in verse 5, he goes on and says, gives us the nature of God's anger. Will your jealousy burn like fire? God's jealous. Now, in what way is God jealous? Well, God chose Israel to be his wife. And God enters into a covenant, or what we would call like a marriage covenant, with Israel. And he says, I will be a faithful husband to you, and you be my faithful wife. And God's been faithful to them, and guess what Israel's done? Israel has gone after other gods. She has not been faithful to God. She's become a harlot, a spiritual harlot to and a prostitute to these other gods. She has turned to other gods. And God is jealous. And it says, you know, in verse 5, will your jealousy burn? And here's a simile. You know what a simile is, don't you? Like. Will your jealousy burn like fire? Now, that's pretty, you know, you, you burn your finger, you know what that's like. And uh, he's talking about a forest fire, that, like a fire out in California that's, you know, raging out of control. Uh, they recognize that God has a right to be jealous. They just want to know how severe his jealousy will be. And there is, I believe, uh, legitimate cause for jealousy, not only with God, but I think there's legitimate cause for jealousy within marriage. You say, oh, he's jealous of her. She's jealous of her. Hey, sometimes jealousy is legitimate. It's not legitimate if you don't have proof <laughs> that, one of your, that your spouse is cheating on you. If you're just suspicious and you're paranoid, that's not legitimate. But guess what? When the evidence is there and you find the two people in bed, I think you have a right to be angry and jealous, don't you? And now, when you think about a husband and wife, one who finds their spouse in bed with a lover, and the other one walks in, God, they said, God, you, we give our loyalty to you, and now they have gone pouring after other gods, and they've trusted other gods. They've actually built altars to other gods. They're bowing down to idols other gods. And God's finally got fed up with it, and his jealousy is burning, and he has allowed, or actually caused, Babylon to go in and level the city and level the temple. And so uh, this is what's happened, and so we have this transition verse. Now we come to the prayer of prophet. Look at verse 6. Here's what the psalmist wants God to do. This is a great one. I love this. Pour out your wrath on the nations. You should be punishing those Gentiles. See? The ones that do not know you. And the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. In other words, destroy Babylon, the Babylonian Empire and restore us. See? That's a little distorted prayer, isn't it? You would say, Lord, 
we deserve. That's what I would say. Lord, I deserve what I'm getting. Uh, I hope that you know you don't punish me too long. Uh, don't blame that other nation. You know they are the tool that you're using to punish me. But that's not what the psalmist says. This is sort of a distorted prayer in that sense, right? Look at the reason for the for the asking for the God to to punish them. For they have devoured Jacob, meaning the nation of Israel, and have laid waste his dwelling place. In other words, God, you need to come and rescue us because they're eating us alive. They've destroyed the city, they've destroyed the temple, and you know, we are on our knees and we can't get up. If you don't rescue us, you know, we're not going to make it. So there's an urgency to the prayer, but there's a logic that's a little distorted there. Okay? So that's the, the first prayer. The first prayer is destroy them, restore us. And okay? I look at the second prayer in verse 8. Oh, by the way, do not remember the former iniquities against us. Now this is a negative prayer. Lord, don't, don't remember all the sins that we have done for generations, for the past hundreds of years, that have accumulated and should be punished. Hey, hey, just forget about those, will you? Yeah, we've been bad all the Just forget about that. Don't remember any of that. That's, uh, see, you can see how the prayer is not really a great prayer. Amen. I mean, it's a desperate prayer, I think, but it's not a great prayer. Uh, they want these past sins to go unpunished. That they have done for hundreds of years. And then look at the end of verse 8. Here's what he wants them to do. Here's the positive. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us. Um, well, God's... And the tender mercies there just speaks of God's compassion. Be merciful to us. Don't give us what we deserve. Don't punish us for hundreds of years of disobedience. But be merciful to us. And that phrase, tender mercies, is, is a covenant word in the Hebrew. And it means basically... You, you made an agreement to, to take care of us. To love us no matter what. Now keep your promise. <laughs> now, not that we've kept our promise, but we want you to keep your promise and show your tender mercies toward us. Okay? So this is what they want God to do. Okay? And uh, here's the reason for the tender mercies at the end of verse 8. Because... Here's why you should do it speedily. Because we've been brought very low. See, uh, we're we're uh, we're the, you know the referee has counted to nine, and there's only one more, ten, and we're out of here. So hurry up and do something. Now, isn't it interesting? They have been disobedient to God for hundreds of years, and now they are on the verge of extinction, and they want God to immediately answer that prayer. So you have this sense that something is not right here. And the way I read it, when we get finished this psalm, you're going to see how, how ridiculous the prayer really is. Uh, he says, we can't hold out much longer. Help us. We're at rock, we hit rock bottom. Now the third part of the prayer is found in verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, which means God of our deliverance. Help us, O God, of our deliverance. Now here's the reason why they want the help. Why they want God to answer this prayer. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. And deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Uh, God, 
We want you to do it. We want you to deliver us because uh, you're doing it. It'll be, it'll be for your benefit. See <laughs> I like that. Don't you? Look what it says. Do it for the glory of your name. You don't want your name slung through the mud, do you? Dragged through the mud. You want to protect your reputation, don't you, God? Huh? You don't want people saying bad things about you. Do it for your benefit, you see? And that's what he repeats right at the end of verse 9. Deliver us and provide us an atonement for your name's sake. Protect your name. It's, uh, yeah, it's sort of it's great. I like it. You know, it's for your benefit. You know, if you get me this far, it'll help me to do chores for you if you need me to happen to go somewhere. So watch it. Why should the nations notice he's still putting this on about God's benefit? Why should the nation say, "Where is their God"? Hey, they don't have to keep saying that. You can come to our restaurant and never say it again. Why are the nation saying, where's, where's that guy? You don't want that to happen. And then look at the rest of verse 10. Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. You know, if you just come in, Lord, and just wipe these people out and avenge our blood, it'll be known to all the nations. Everyone said, whoa. See, so you can see how there's this bargaining and this, this twisting of motives and asking prayers. Now look at verse 11. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. Talking about those who are in captivity, those who have been not killed, but those who have been uh, taken into Babylonian captivity and thrown in jail. They're moaning out to you, Lord. Can't you hear them? Don't you want to rescue those prisoners that Babylon has taken? See? Let their groaning, the groaning of the prisoners come before you according to the greatness of your power. In verse 11, preserve those who are appointed to die. Hey, and some of these guys are on death row. And if you don't step in right now, guess what? They're going to die. You want to preserve those that are going to die. You need to help us now. See, you can see every reasoning uh, thrown into all this. So this is uh, the prayer. And look what he says in verse 12. And return to our neighbors. And he's talking about these bad guys and those that are mockers. Sevenfold into their bosom. Their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. And don't only just punish them. I mean, let's do it, do it sevenfold. Let's really teach these guys. Let's teach these guys a lesson. Now, who really needs to be taught the lesson? Israel needs to be taught the lesson. Because Israel has gone after other gods. But here's the prayer, is you need to teach these people a lesson. And you need to do it sevenfold, which would mean do a complete job. And really finish these people off. You know? So that is the prayer. Okay? The petitions that are being made. Now we come to the promise. The psalmist makes a promise on behalf of the nation. And I like this. This is very interesting. He says, so... You need to do all this. 
So, we your people and the sheep of your pasture will give you thanks forever. Now the word so there is a, tells us this is the purpose. You need to come in and rescue us right now so that we will give you what? Thanks forever. That's why you need to do it. That's the purpose for the answered prayer. Now here comes the promise. Okay? Here comes the vow. You'll like this. We, here's the promise, we will show forth your praise to all generations. Sure. Oh yeah? You think they would do that? No, they're not going to do that. So, that's the prayer. That's the complaint. We've been devastated. Your temple has been defiled. We have the prayer. Rescue us. Rescue us quickly. And all the reasons. And then the purpose why they need to be rescued. Because then we'll be thanking you. We'll thank you. For the next generation. And then the promise that that's what they were going to do. Okay. Now, you know what? God really doesn't want to hear a promise. He doesn't want another promise. They promised God to do this as many times as you promised God to do this. If you get me out of this, I will. Right? He doesn't want another promise. He doesn't want another vow. You see, uh, there's, It's too late for promises. It's too late for vows. So what he's decided is that they will stay in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. He will not answer this prayer speedily. It will be answered in 70 years. Now, here's where it gets interesting. All that to say this for the next two minutes. Why 70 years? Now listen. It has to do with them breaking the Sabbath. You know that God said six days you should work, and then on the seventh day you should rest. That's a Sabbath. For every seven days, there should be one day of rest for the benefit of the human beings. Okay? That's called the Sabbath rest. But there's another Sabbath in the Bible, and that's called a land Sabbath. Every seventh year, you're supposed to let the land remain uh, unworked. So look over at Leviticus chapter 25. I'm going to show this to you. And it gets very interesting. So you have a Sabbath rest for humans, but you also have a Sabbath rest for the land. Okay? So Leviticus chapter 25. And when you go there, look at verse 1, right at the beginning of the chapter. It talks about the land Sabbath. Watch how all this comes together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Chapter 25 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. There's the land Sabbath. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath of the Lord. 
You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of the untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the Lord. It is a year of rest for the Lord. So here we have this Sabbath rest for the land. So here's the rule. One out of seven years is a Sabbath. That means seven out of 49 years are Sabbath years. Right? Every seventh year, seven out of 49 are Sabbath years. That means 70 years out of every 490 are Sabbath years. For 490 years, Israel has not practiced the Sabbath rest. And so, and they followed other gods. And so God is going to give the land the rest that it deserves. He's going to give the land a 70-year rest by driving the people out and having them become captive. You say, well, how do you know that? Because if you turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, it says this is the reason why all of this is happening. So look over at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. So here's what it says, beginning in verse 17. Here you'll find kings, people moving. Then you'll find 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And we're going to begin in verse 17. This is an explanation of why the Babylonian captivity in the fall of Judah. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary. They defiled the sanctuary. They had no compassion on young men or virgins, on the aged or the weak. And he gave them, God gave them all into that king's hand, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And all the articles from the house of God, that's the temple, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all of its palaces with fire, destroyed all of its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away into Babylon, where they became servants to him, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land has enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath till 70 years. That's the reason for the Babylonian captivity. So the Babylonian captivity is the historical context for Psalm 79. That's the historical context in which Psalm 79 is written. And the breaking of the law of the Sabbath, the land Sabbath, is the reason for the captivity. So that's Psalm 79. 
and its historical context. Next week we're going to look at Psalm 80, and this is a psalm that my youngest son Andrew wrote his dissertation on, his PhD dissertation. So we're going to find out what, whether what he wrote was correct or not. That will be uh, next Sunday, Psalm 80. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you and we see how complaints and prayers can be misconceived. We can see how they can be used to bargain, to threat, to enjoy, to use for our own purposes not for your glory. We can see, Lord, the results of long-term sin, long-term disobedience. Help us to learn this lesson. Help each one of us, Lord, while we are in relatively good health. In a time when disaster is not fallen upon us as individuals. As a church, even, to look back in the past are there things we need to repent of now that judgment doesn't fall in the future? Lord, we do not want to become the object of your anger or of your jealousy. Help us, Lord, to remain close to you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be witnesses to you. And lifting up your name to those around us. In Christ's name we pray.